Hello and welcome back to another episode of Creedal. Longtime listeners of this podcast might remember that every Christmas I try to read aloud a, an excellent homily on the nativity of Jesus Christ. Last year it was Benedict XVI's 2007 homily. I think the year before that it was his 2006 homily. So you might think that this year would be his 2008 homily, but no, in fact, I'm going to dig much deeper into church history and go all the way back to St. Leo the Great, Pope Leo I. If you don't know much about Pope Leo I, you should. He's an amazing figure in the church's history. In fact, in 2008, I think it was, when Benedict XVI was um, dedicating his Wednesday general audiences to introducing um, the, the laity to the roles of the church fathers, uh, he talked at length about Leo the Great and called him one of the most important popes in the history of the church. Uh, this is for a number of reasons, but one of them is that uh, Pope Leo the Great's um, work, uh, and especially, most especially the Tome of Leo, as it was called, laid the foundation for the Council of Chalcedon, which happened under his watch in 451, in which um, some of the church's Christology really took shape, including uh, the hypostatic union. So Leo the Great is a very important figure in in the dogmatic history of the church, and really also in the in the political history of the church, uh, in the sense that it was uh, Leo the Great who was uh, an ambassador um, to prevent Attila the Hun from uh, conquering Rome. Um, and that's a really interesting story as well. We don't exactly know why Attila the Great turned away. There are some legends around that, but we do know that Attila the Hun was approaching Rome and was preparing to take over Rome. And uh, Leo went out to meet him along with two other men, uh, all sent by the emperor at the time. And they had a conversation, and Attila withdrew. We don't know exactly what was said. Um, most historians at the time apparently attributed it to Leo the Great. And it would not be surprising, of course, if such a holy man uh, was indeed the one who um, whose intercession saved the city. So what I'm about to read to you is one of Pope Leo the Great's most famous homilies. It's very short and very accessible, but very important. Uh, and it has a central line which has become rather famous, and that is Christian Remember your dignity. The Nativity shows us so much about the dignity of us as Christians, uh, our newfound identity in Christ, about the willingness of our God to assume our flesh and become incarnate and live and dwell among us. And so Pope Leo the Great here is calling upon us to remember our dignity. Super important words from a super important Pope. Let's begin this Feast of the Nativity homily from Pope Leo I, also known as Saint Leo the Great. All share in the joy of Christmas. Our Savior, dearly beloved, was born today. Let us be glad. For there is no proper place for sadness when we keep the birthday of the life, which destroys the fear of mortality and brings to us the joy of promised eternity. No one is kept from sharing in this happiness. There is for all one common measure of joy— because as our Lord, the destroyer of sin and death, finds none free from charge, so is he come to free us all. Let the saint exult in that he draws near to victory. Let the sinner be glad in that he is invited to pardon. Let the Gentile take courage in that he is called to life. For the Son of God, in the fullness of time, which the inscrutable depth of the divine counsel has determined, has taken on him the nature of man, thereby to reconcile it to its author in order that the inventor of death, the devil, might be conquered through that nature which he had conquered. 
and in this conflict undertaken for us, the fight was fought on great and wondrous principles of fairness. For the Almighty Lord enters the lists with his savage foe not in his own majesty, but in our humility, opposing him with the same form and the same nature, which shares indeed our mortality, though it is free from all sin. Truly foreign to this nativity is that which we read of all others. No one is clean from stain, not even the infant who has lived but one day upon earth. Job chapter 19 verse 4. Nothing, therefore, of the lust of the flesh has passed into that peerless nativity. Nothing of the law of sin has entered. A royal virgin of the stem of David is chosen to be impregnated with the sacred seed and to conceive the divinely human offspring in mind first and then in body. And lest in ignorance of the heavenly counsel she should tremble at so strange a result, she learns from converse with the angel that what is to be wrought in her is of the Holy Ghost. Nor does she believe it loss of honor that she is soon to be the mother of God. For why should she be in despair over the novelty of such conception, to whom the power of the Most High has promised to effect it? Her implicit faith is confirmed also by the attestation of a precursory miracle, and Elizabeth receives unexpected fertility, in order that there might be no doubt that he who had given conception to the barren would give it even to a virgin. The mystery of the Incarnation is a fitting theme for joy both to angels and to men. Therefore the Word of God, Himself God, the Son of God who in the beginning was with God, through whom all things were made, and without whom was nothing made, with the purpose of delivering man from eternal death became man, so bending Himself to take on Him our humility, without decrease in His own majesty, that remaining what he was and assuming what he was not, he might unite the true form of a slave to that form in which he is equal to God the Father, and join both natures together by such a compact that the lower should not be swallowed up in its exaltation, nor the higher impaired by its new associate. Without detriment, therefore, to the properties of either substance which then came together in one person, majesty took on humility, strength weakness, eternity mortality and for the paying off of the debt belonging to our condition, inviolable nature was united with passable nature, and true God and true man were combined to form one Lord, so that as suited the needs of our case, one and the same mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, could both die with the one and rise again with the other. Rightly, therefore, did the birth of our salvation impart no corruption to the virgin's purity, because the bearing of the truth was the keeping of honor, such then, beloved, was the nativity which became the power of God and the wisdom of God, even Christ, whereby he might be one with us in manhood and surpass us in Godhead. For unless he were true God, he would not bring us a remedy. Unless he were true man, he would not give us an example. Therefore, the exulting angel's song when the Lord was born is this, glory to God in the highest, and their message, peace on earth to men of goodwill. For they see that the heavenly Jerusalem is being built up out of all the nations of the world. And over that indescribable work of the divine love, how ought the humbleness of men to rejoice when the joy of the lofty angels is so great? Christians then must live worthily of Christ their head. Let us then, dearly beloved, give thanks to God the Father through his Son in the Holy Spirit, who for his great mercy, wherewith he has loved us, has had pity on us, 
and when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together in Christ, that we might be in him a new creation and a new production. Let us put off then the old man with his deeds, and having obtained a share in the birth of Christ, let us renounce the works of the flesh. Christian, remember your dignity, and becoming a partner in the divine nature, refuse to return to the old baseness by degenerate conduct. And thus ends the Nativity homily, the most well-known one at least, of Pope St. Leo the Great. It's a very good one, and you can hear in there some of the things that St. Leo is best remembered for, including his emphasis of the hypostatic union. When he says, for example, without detriment, therefore, to the properties of either substance, that means without diminishing either his godness or his humanness, those two came together in one person. Majesty took on humility, strength, weakness, eternity, mortality, and for the paying off of the debt belonging to our condition. That is a beautiful and poetic summary of the hypostatic union, a dogma of the church that St. Leo the Great is largely responsible for upholding when he was Pope. What strikes me in listening to this homily is Pope Leo's exhortation to his listeners to rejoice, to find joy in the reality of the incarnation, in the reality of what God has done for us. I listened recently to a homily by Bishop Barron, given, in fact, on Gaudete Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent, in which we are reminded especially to be joyful. And it was a very good homily. I highly recommend it to you because Bishop Barron reminded us that being joyful is not an option for the Christian. It's not that we can be joyful. It's that we must be joyful. The language that scripture uses in, that Paul uses in the first letter to the Philippians is in the imperative, rejoice, always rejoice. Paul, of course, is writing this in the midst of his own persecutions. He's suffering chains, imprisonment, torturing, beatings, all for the sake of the gospel. And we have our own crosses to bear. Most of us in the developed Western world are not bearing crosses even as severe as St. Paul's, but all of us have our own crosses to bear. I was talking with a friend of mine recently about how we all have our own cross and how my cross is so much smaller than those of many other people that I admire, but it, it often seems so heavy for me. And my friend said that his is a little, a little splinter of the cross. He just carries a splinter, but even that sometimes feels like too much. And I totally agree. All of us have our own cross to bear. Sometimes it's only a splinter relative to what it seems like others are carrying. But really, all of it is only a splinter compared to the cross that Christ died on for us. And so we have to rejoice. Many of us might be in situations where we're feeling very sad and alone and depressed. Winter months can be especially hard for that sometimes, and doubly or triply or more so for winter months in the midst of a global pandemic. Some of us may have friends who have died of coronavirus over the past two years. Some of us may have friends and family like myself who have died of other natural causes in the past two years. There are plenty of reasons for us to look around and become sad, to become despondent, to despair, to forsake joy. But none of those reasons, none of those reasons overcome the one singular reason for us to be joyful. We must be joyful because our God has assumed our humanity, has taken on our weakness has exchanged his eternity for our mortality. 
has exchanged his majesty for our weakness, as Pope St. Leo the Great reminded us in this homily. And he entered into our brokenness and chose to save us there. And that's why we have to rejoice, friends. We all bear our crosses. We carry them every single day. Those crosses are given to us by God, and we can unite our sufferings with those of Jesus on the cross. And we should rejoice because ultimately we know who wins this battle. We are going to be with Jesus. My five-year-old read me a story just the other day that brought tears to my eyes. It was the story of Benedetta, Blessed Benedetta Bianchiporo from Italy. And her story is chronicled in a in a relatively new book by Meg Hunter Kilmer, who's been on the podcast before. And so Blessed Benedetta is a just super inspiring story. She became ill with polio as a teenager, lost her sight, eventually lost her hearing, and lost, I think, all ability to have movement except for movement of her left hand or left arm. And it was told in a very brief way by Meg Hunter Kilmer, but a very poignant way because Benedetta was talking to people and recognizing that she felt so ill and was experiencing so much suffering and that yes, her life was hard, but she also told people that she was joyful because she knows at the end Jesus is waiting for her. And it was such a beautiful reminder of one, how small my crosses are comparatively, but two, how even the biggest crosses in our own lives today pale in comparison to the cross of Christ and how all of us must be joyful because of what awaits us after this life. And that only awaits us because of what Jesus accomplished in the incarnation when the Son of God, fully God and fully man, assumed our humanity and entered into our brokenness. So let us rejoice and Merry Christmas. God bless you. 